Coming to you live from a weird gray donut in space, it's Vidra, please, a hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm now your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Voyager did we watch this week? Season 6, episode 12, Blink of an Eye. Speaking of Blink of an Eye, we've had some very short uh, podcasts that we have released in uh, conjunction with Season Sucks because they're hard to talk about. So I want you to take all the times that we have come up about 45 or so minutes of our normal hour-long podcast and and give me those rollover minutes because this is a doozy and we might go a little over. The overall quality level of this episode, I think, might be a bit in dispute, but I will say that it does not lack for interesting ideas and things to talk about and get into the deep nitty gritty of the nerd. I mentioned when we had our Australian friends last week that this was a really cool sci-fi story. And I stand by that. I also stand by the assertion that I wasn't sure how good an episode of Trek it is. I, You know, I'm going to say there's a disproportionate disproportionate amount of good in this episode for what season sucks should have. And oh, yeah, if we're grading on a curve, this is excellent. Yeah, granted, I don't want to take I mean, I want to take everything away from Dragon's Teeth because fuck Voyager like (laughs) (laughs) you're so traumatized by that. And I'm here for it. It's just it's ridiculous. If you had said, hey, are you willing to bet an appendage that we're going to see these guys can like yeah, the fucking Klingassians. I, I would I would be one-armed Peter moving forward. Anyways, it was a good episode. And I would say this is a good episode um, with just a lot, a lot of really cool stuff. And I, I was thinking back to like next gen. It was weird. It was rare for next gen to break out like the real fringe um, cerebral sci-fi elements. It was a lot of morality, a lot of diplomacy. Not a lot of weird science stuff. And I think Voyager rings that bell a lot more than Next Gen did. Usually it's a garbage attempt, but this I think this checks most of the boxes to, to come off as a great episode for me. I, I to me, it falls short of being a great episode because the best and most interesting parts of the story they're telling get abandoned in the third act. I'm referencing here the adventure of the doctor on the planets. Yeah. The unseen adventure of the doctor, as well as the cutaway vignettes to life on the planets. They, they have this consistent thread that they're, they're building that and, and they have this cool idea with what they do with the doctor. And then they just decide to stop developing that and stop exploring that in the last act. And that, that kind of sucks for me. I did not enjoy the last act and how they decided to wrap this up. Despite that, though, this is one of the more interesting 45 minute. Here's a sci fi story where Voyager and Trek is just kind of the vehicle of putting this idea out there that that the show actually does. And I'm here for it. Like, I still enjoyed it, even if I felt like it came a little short at the end of being a great episode. Well, for starters, when I say a great episode, I, of course, mean a great episode for Voyager. So disclaimer there. <laughs> and that is a very low bar, especially in the middle of season six, a.k.a. season sucks. Um, I want to I want to have a sidebar conversation. Uh, the situation you're talking about where there is um, potentially potentially i'm doing air quotes right now potentially cool stuff the doctor got up to that piques your interest that man i would like to know more i want to see these kids stomp these bugs out i would like to know more um maybe they could do a great job maybe they give it the old voyager try and it's a garbage story that they end up telling and it sucks occam's not occam's razor uh, schrodinger cat right What's in the box? Is it a good plot or is it a bad plot? You don't know until you open it up. I I don't disagree with the tactic here of just teasing you a little bit and then rather than fuck it up and make it bad and something that's a, a drag to watch, like, okay, we don't really go deeper into it and it's there and you can draw your own conjecture, your opinions, uh, but rather than put showtime into it, we're going to leave it alone. And that's, I don't think that's the worst thing to do. I see where you're going with that. 
better they let it all kind of exist in your imagination with some little pieces and hints rather than give you too much and it sucks. You know, the, the you don't want to spoil the meal if the appetizer is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I get that. But I think that what they teased out there was such an interesting idea. I don't want to. We'll get there in the episode. We'll talk more about it. So let, let's start getting into this thing before we, we spend too much time discussing parts of it before we discuss the whole. So this is a time displacement episode. And if you have seen uh, Interstellar. Uh, or what's the last time we touched um, the the time dilation on Voyager? It wasn't that long ago. Which one was it? Time dilation on this scale, I don't not recall. on this scale, but there was something where that you know they, they got too close and it threw their time off a little bit. I can't believe I'm drawing blanks. They had the relativity episodes where they were dealing with the future time cops, but mm, no, that's it a little different. A, it was a planet rotation and and something else. Whatever. In the vein of that, we've got our own time dilation going on here. We were supposed to record this on Wednesday. It's now Sunday because life happens. So uh, if I'm a little slow on the draw, pulling some some facts out of my brain, it's because we're doing this abnormally. So season six, episode 12, Blink of an Eye. Uh, We come up on a pretty cool looking planet. Normally planets are spheres. This thing's like a a cylinder that's getting squished. It's a great donut. It's got a hole in it and everything. It looks delicious. Got some frosting on it. It just it's the donut planet. It doesn't have, it's it's one of those circumstances where the planet, the race that inhabits it don't actually get a name in this episode. Uh they the makeup that these guys have is basically Cardassian if human. You know, it's got the Cardassian spoon head, but that's it. Mm. And we start on Voyager because you're approaching this planet and it is rotating 58 times a minute. So almost one rotation a second. And I'm like, this is weird. No one's ever seen this before. And this is Starship Voyager. We cannot help ourselves. <laughs> we see weird shit on our way home. It's, we got to swing by and take a look. Sees. It's Janeway looking starstruck at this thing with Chakotay. And I'm going to give this the award for the most Janeway body contact of all time. She is like just completely flushed boobs, surgically attached to Chakotay's arm. Like just they're glued together on the bridge, standing there looking at this thing. And all I could think was like, God, what if Picard ever went up and just got on Riker like this looking at him? <laughs> Inappropriate. This is the privilege of being Janeway close talker. You've just you've managed to break those those personal space barriers down day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year with these people. Mm-hmm. Now you can just go boobs to arms, be like, this is normal now. This is how you live your life. We're we're running lean here on Voyager. We had to turn down life support. So it gets a little chilly. And, you know, we just go for that body to body contact. Um, you know, it's it's just getting more more energy or uh, more mileage out of the energy. We promise it's not a sex thing. Uh, the <laughs> captain, the captain saves that only for Irish bartenders. <sighs> anyway, so uh, a bunch of techno babble happens and Voyager gets sucked into an orbit around the donut planet. And, it, you know, it's all a bunch of gobbledygook of gravimetric this tachyon that space-time differential, you know, your standard issue technobabble, it's fine. It's what is we're here for it, right? We get explanations, even if I have no idea if they're supposed to make any sense whatsoever. And Taryn's not here to give us a 15-minute monologue about if it should or not. Love you, dude. I just buy, I'm buying it as face value. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that we begin a series of cutaways to the surface of this planet where – they are experiencing the effects of Voyager entering entering orbit because it's fucking with their poles and their their gravimetric, uh, um, you know, uh, vibe. vibe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, down there, and it starts this chain reaction of impacts on how their entire society develops as a consequence that we see play out through the episode, and it is definitely the coolest thing that they do. Literally starts with caveman people all the way to super future tech. 
So these cavemen people are, uh, if you can think to Willow the movie, the brownies. Right. The little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I buy that. That's, that's the, that's that's the vibe. Look like. um, so there, there's a lot of cool questions you can ask in this episode. If the planet is developing and spinning as fast as it is, like how many civilizations have came and, and fallen or species or whatever, like the odds. Yeah, that's, the, that's the big question at the end is you know is this species actually able to break through this barrier or is this planet like doomed to this cycle of of intelligent civilizations rising and falling and then some new species because of the speed at which it rotates coming and involving and replacing it like how fortuitous a voyager to show up exactly as the species is getting up off of its feet um, because as you alluded to earlier Voyager gets stuck in a goofy orbit around this place and they effectively become the third pole for the planet. And the result of that is they start getting really bad earthquakes that uh, haunt the species through its evolution. Uh, and we're talking like four times a day, you know, four to five pointers at a minimum, you know, pretty consistent shaking is happening on this planet. Yeah, and it's pretty consistent interference from the Death Ship Voyager. This is a real black mark on that Delta Quadrant next door score. Like Janeway's done some bad, done some dirty things to some individual planets in the past, but uh, this is this is one for the books. You instantly know what's going to happen in this episode, and we talk uh, frequently. Like, did Voyager do this first? Were there other? properties or um stories that that were told using this formula before and we're just seeing it now in voyager or or did they really carve something new into sci-fi there's two stories that i can think of that have to be based heavily well one i know for sure is the second um did you get through uh, love death and robots i did so there was that deep freezer episode, right, where there was the lost civilization in that uh, that couple's freezer. And like every time they'd open the door, you'd see like a new stage of evolution in this little miniature world living in there. And the other big one is uh, the season one uh, series or episode, uh, season finale for Orville, which was Mad Idol Tree. Do you remember that episode? No, I don't. That's the one where uh, Kelly screws up and ends up being classed as a god. And it's one of these planets that's like phasing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the religion. Yeah, it's their their big religion episode. And Isaac stays behind and he gets to watch this, uh, you know, decades and decades of uh, civilization uh, maturity until they come out of the phase and they're able to interact again. And now they're like super enlightened spacefaring. So. A lot of stuff seemed really familiar, and and it it all comes back to this Voyager episode. And it was cool to finally see that. So, uh, Voyager's there; they're causing problems, um, and Prime Directive is in some deep trouble. Yeah, I guess like this is technically a break of the Prime Directive, obviously, but it's one of those we broke it without even knowing it was a thing that could be broken in this circumstance. We broke it on accident, so it doesn't matter, which is the this the the next line in the prime directive. If you break it on accident, it's totally cool. Don't worry about it. Cause there's no mention of like uh <laughs> what you know, like there's one I take that back. There is one mention. It's in the, there's a briefing scene where it's like, we're breaking the prime directive. It's like we broke it the moment we showed up. Their entire civilization is based around us. We're their god. <laughs> like, we already fucked it up. We might as well try and fix it. The episode does a decent job the first few acts of you know cutting up to, to Voyager as they're trying to figure things out and not a lot of time has passed and then cutting back down to the surface so you can kind of see where where like their new level of uh, development is because you get the caveman people and they're like oh a new god has appeared it it wants the fire fruit you know it will be it will be only be sacrificed for it you know they just interpret that the arrival of Voyager is that it is an angry god in the sky. And then I really after, like that fire fruit part, too, because they literally believe it is a god that only this god is allowed to eat the fire fruit and that the whatever their version of human, the, the people are now not allowed to. And when they jump ahead a few um, 
hundred years and they're in like what the the their their bronze age or something at that point I'd say. More like like medieval. You know, they've got like hard hot air balloon, you know, technology kind of going. So the Maester, I don't know how else to- <laughs> Yeah. So they, they have the, the caveman people. And then they have uh, – they cut back to Voyager and they're starting to figure out what's going on. And they like send a probe and they're like, oh shit, there's people down there. <laughs> this this We might be really fucking with some shit. Oh no. Everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, guys, uh, Pottery Barn rules. We broke it. We have to buy it. Mm-hmm. And they cut back and now it's, you know, as you said, it's Game of Thrones level of technology. You see, like, castles being built. There's a little village. Oh, another cool kind of framing device for the episode. All of the scenes on the surface take place in the same geographic spot, which, of course, is just them saving on money but only having the one set, but provides an anchor for your understanding of when they cut back down there. I'm like, oh, that's the spot. We've we've seen this spot. And, like, now there's changes in the background. We're like, oh, interesting, you know? So the maester shows up and the uh, local king and he's called a, what a protector, I want to say. Correct. And he's like, I'm going to send a message up in the hot air balloon to the the thing up in the sky. Uh, maybe there's people there when they have a leader. Maybe there's a protector up there. And I'm going to ask him politely to uh, stop um, shaking the shit out of everything down here because it's really it's a real drag. And the maester seems like a little enlightened. He's like, oh, come on, you know, you, you, you're thinking of fairy tales and, and, and you're being silly and superstition and this and that. And the protector's like, well, you know, if you don't believe in superstition, go ahead and eat one of the fire fruit. And the maester's kind of like, ooh, you called my bluff. <laughs> you called my... He's, he's not willing to go in the bathroom with the lights off and look in the mirror and say Bloody Mary five times, you know? <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. He won't do it. The the next cutaway up to Voyager is them like actually doing the probe and then seeing like at the industrial buildup of the planet. And that's when we get some background of like, oh, well, you know, there starts to be buildings and roads and internal combustion engines. But like all of their buildings are very fortified with a ton of iron because they have to build around the fact that their planet shakes all the time. So it's like all of their buildings are earthquake proof that's really cool like, yes that really was neat yeah and when they show you know interior shots as they move through the years you see these big ass like steel girders all over the place like that's oh that's who wrote this thing let me see what's going on here we got a story by michael taylor teleplay by scott miller and joe minoski and then directed by gabriel beaumont good job mike taylor and and Scott Miller and Joe, I mean, that's that's just fucking great details. That's stuff that a lot of times would just go uh, left off the table by Voyager. And it's it's fun and it feels good to see. Oh, this is Gabrielle Be- Beaumont's uh, only Voyager episode. I didn't know that the, she is the same director as did uh, Lower Decks. I think is probably the best one she ever did. And if it's just like the art direction, like whoever gave the notes to the matte painters or the CG artists of like. This is what the stuff in the background is supposed to look like. That added so much to what was going on. Yeah. Um, is the the when they cut back to the planet after they, that revelation is when you see the you know, the skyscrapers. Everything's got steel girder, girders, and there's an observatory that's also like stone with steel girders on it. And when you go inside, there's there's literally handles everywhere for people to grab when the earthquakes happen. So you're just like doing, going around your day and the earthquakes happen. You grab it, grab a handle and wait for it to end. <laughs> yeah. Like what a neat, neat, good job, guys. Like this feels lived in instantly. If only the Starfleet engineers who designed the galaxy class could have had such foresight, how many <laughs> broken backs and shattered hips they could have prevented on the bridge of people just being flung around and thrown. Had there been a couple handlebars to grab onto. This um, is the most OSHA compliant planet we've <laughs> seen. It's serious, <laughs> planet OSHA. <laughs> there it is, the oceans. I like this snippet they work in. There's this real rocketeer vibe 
aesthetically, I'd say it's like the equivalent of like the 30s in this observatory. And they're sending radio signals up into orbit, trying to make contact with prime numbers and stuff like that. And you've got this interesting interplay between the lead researcher and the new guy on the team. And the new guy on the team is real doubting Thomas about everything. Um, But there's this there's this mutual hope that, you know, the, the people on Voyager who this culture has called what the sky friends, the sky ship, the sky so, ship, yeah. the sky friends inside of it, complete with its own toy line and everything else. And it's kind of like this wink, wink, nudge, nudge, talking about action figures and ships and all this other stuff, which, of course, there is for Star Trek already. So these guys being racked by uh, earthquakes and, and the third magnetic pole can share in the the same pastime of collecting Star Trek junk that I have. I liked the quick progression we see of the cave people think that Voyager is a baleful god. The Game of Thrones level of technology people are like, it's probably not that, but maybe it's like another place. Who knows? Starts to speculate. And then by the time we get to the 1930s, they're like, yeah, we can actually see it. We know it's a ship now, right? Like we look at our telescope, we look up there, we see the fucking thing. <laughs> like they, there it is. When they show the telescope shot of Voyage and you can see the nacelles in the saucer section, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, like they know it's some it's it's a, a ship and, you know, they've come to the, the conclusion that there must be some way to communicate with whoever the fuck is in that goddamn thing. And that's why this effort is ongoing. Like they've they've dialed in very quickly to it's a god to no, those are people in space and we need to get up there and talk to them about what the fuck they're doing. So. Uh, Chakotay and Seven are chilling out in Astrometrics and they actually pick up the radio transmissions. And like, I think a lot of times the proportionate, uh, the proportion of the stakes in Voyager are way off. It's either super low risk stuff that I, I could give two shits about, or it's silliness like, hey, we just took down the entire Borg collective. Like, it, it falls out of scope. This, I feel like there's real consequences. And like in video games, I hate any video game where there is some sort of a clock hanging over my head. You know, Majora's Mask, uh, the fucking Ninja Turtles NES game, the underwater level. Uh. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I got I, OK. I just want to point out I got really good at that when I was a kid. I was actually able I never beat the first Ninja Turtles game, but I actually did get into the Technodrome, Technodrome on multiple occasions and then and then got killed and eventually like gave up because after playing the game for hours to get there only to die hideously on the last stage, it was it was disheartening to the my eight year old self. But yeah, that's why that, you're that, a that, mean person, Joe. Ninja Turtles <laughs> did that to you. Most people <laughs> would have just said, this is going to poison me as a person. I need to stop. And they walked away from it. But you... You let that game break you and turn you into a mean person. I don't know anybody in my entire life that's ever beat that fucking thing. Ninja Turtles was a terrible, uh, uh, infamously terrible, bad game. And yeah, again, to this day, I feel traumatized anything that has a timer. So my heart really goes out to everybody involved in this because like for a, a, a ship of goody two shoes, helping McHelpersons watching in real time as you just fuck an entire species into the dirt um there's nothing you can do to stop it yeah and by the way that that nes teenage mutant ninja turtles game uh is actually good and how i perhaps that could be our special episode (laughs) where i explain to you why that game is actually good you're mean and you're crazy you're you're shattered you're a broken person you're a broken person. <laughs> Up is down, left is right, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. What were you talking about? Star Trek Voyager. Oh, yeah. So after oh, they oh. receive the transmissions from the planet, uh, they're like, oh, they're sending numbers. Oh, they're like talking to us. That's when, like you're saying, the realization of, oh, no, we've really done it this time, guys. Like 
they are really into us and like centuries have passed from their perspective. Like there's no coming back from what we've done. What do we do? And that's when they have that meeting. And they're getting begged, like, please stop it. You're really, really hurting us. And of course, Voyager is dutifully attempting to try and find ways to escape. But while they work on that, they come to the conclusion, like, we need to send someone down there to gather information. But we can't send like a person down there because, A, we don't know what these people look like. So, you know, we can't like change our appearance once we're down there easily. And there's also the we'll probably give them time, a time stroke <laughs> if we did that. Yeah. So that leaves exactly one crew member with the capability of being able to a go down there and immediately make themselves look like whatever the species is supposed to look like and b not die of a time stroke. And that's the doctor fucking love it. Like how exciting. What, what, what a great use for your holographic character with his 29th century hypertech to send this guy I mean, he's immune to everything and just and, and you know you know the doctor something's gonna get fucked up and the doctor's gonna get stuck down there and have like a whole quantum leap crazy life experience right uh which is of course what's gonna happen i love for the initial test of hey can we even like safely transport something down to the surface without it like blowing up they don't they don't transport an apple it's just like right into like hey where's what's the one doctor we have on the ship and this crazy 29th century hypertech, like, let's use that as our first transport. Yeah, I'll go ahead and just beep boop this a couple times here, and uh, you should be able to make yourself look correct, and, you know, you're you're going to be in phase with their time frame or whatever, and, okay, good luck, buddy. Hopefully we didn't just fuck this up. Bolana's super casual about it, as always, when it comes to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, just this consistent thread through the series. <laughs> and Other than uh, the Vulcans... Are there any other like super long lifey aliens you could have on the ship? God, what if they put Vork down there? Ugh. <laughs> Fuck it up. Three pond fars and like they find a radically different like murder rapist society has. A <laughs> Vork has turned them into an entire planet of rapists. They're very impressionable people. Ugh. Yeah, so, so good call using the doctor. And, and I got like so, so happy when they actually did it. So as we've already discussed in part, one of the more interesting threads that they, they build into this episode is that the the standard own oops, the transporter doesn't work moment happens. And instead of pulling him out in, after three seconds, which would be three days, he's down there for many minutes uh, which by the time they beam him back out uh, is equivalent to three years worth of time. Quick shout out to Chakotay for figuring out where the doctor would be based on where the opera houses were like. That's a solid Chakotay emotional intelligence moment. It is. Yes. Like he's the first person to think, oh, we should just look at look for places the doctor would go because he likes it. Like I, I Chakotay, who is as you said, the most intelligent, emotionally intelligent person on this ship, evidently, <laughs> comes to that conclusion immediately. So three years down there, and they were a productive three years in many ways. I love the way Picardo, like when they get him back up, he's just like immediately filled with relief of like, Captain, he just gives her a hug. Just like, boom, bear hug. Like, I haven't seen you in years. I am so relieved. Like all of this emotion all of a sudden that makes complete sense within context of the experience that he has evidently had. Yes. And who would have ever thought that you delete one line of ethics code and he would be torture porning people god just fucking i hate that so much even more every time they build more and more complexity into the doctor's character with stuff like this i hate i I'm hate that moment even more so resentful like it just poisons the entire experience that that moment in equinox was the picard the series moment of star trek voyager it's ruined forever yeah it's easier to let go because I'm so used to Voyager's writing being so bad and inconsistent that a bad moment like that, I could just kind of put out of my head and not think about it. And then you're here to remind me in the same way that I tortured you over Dragon's Teeth. You're here to remind me of Equinox Part 2. I had to I had to get a crown. Have you ever had a crown put in your mouth before? Yes, I have. 
So they uh, first take the tooth that's getting the crown and they like shave it down to a little mutant nublet of a tooth, which just grosses me out and I'm horrified to even think about. And they put this temporary crown on top of it. And uh, the doctor's like, hey, don't eat anything like like no weird meat and do not floss your teeth under any circumstances. So I'm like, okay. So of course I go out that night and I eat a fucking Reuben and I have all this corned beef stuck in my teeth. And I'm like, gosh, I could just pop in and out of there. Like once, like what's the worst that would happen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Damn crown temp out. And I've got this mutant nubby tooth exposed and it just, I'm shrieking and like in horror. It's so fucking terrible. And it's just scarred me forever. And that's that's what that moment in Equinox is for the doctor. Like <laughs> a raw nerve ending. My my worst visions come true. Uh, but he's super happy to uh, hug the human and uh, even Bellana, who he has often tortured and been tortured by. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And we also see kind of an improved emotional intelligence on the part of the doctor for the rest of the episode. I don't yeah. know if you picked up on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this whole, he's just more like better. He's just more natural around everybody, you know, just like, just like he's more of a person after three years of having to live among people kind of covertly. He just got more in kind of sync with emotions. Let me, I hate to do it, but, uh, just for the sake of continuity uh, again surprisingly memory alpha super thin on info here it it's sad because i really did enjoy this episode i would like to see more background um was the dumb tank girl episode oh yeah well i that only was, remember yeah, that that was the one where there was a goofy time dilation thing going on it was tank- <laughs> no, that was exactly fucking yeah tank girl same same uh interstellar type deal it, yeah yeah okay good pat on my own back um in that episode, was his transmitter damaged? Is that why he couldn't be on all the time and they had to start like rationing him? I think there was an issue with like how much power uh, was necessary to run the emitter or something. They had a limitation on that, which uh, good point. Like there isn't really an explanation of how or why uh, he was able to run without, I would presume, an exterior power source for three years. I don't know. Maybe they're holodecks. <laughs> Their toasters run on uh, emitter compatible energy. Again, minor gripe. I'm just, you know, for continuity. And again, the, the, I'm I'm glad I did bring it up because, yeah, that Tank Girl episode was the same type deal, which they don't ever shout it out in this. But uh, why would you? That was a terrible episode. So he's got a lot of information that he was able to bring back instead of having the three days. Would you say it was like six years down there or three years, three years, three years. Yeah. So he's like, listen, I, I got some good stuff here. Let's get to work on um, figuring out how we're going to break out of this uh, gravitational headlock. We're stuck in. He also reveals a lot of like societal information uh, that Voyager's existence and that it is clearly a ship as they've been able to determine by observation has has really like forced the entire society to technologically evolve to reach Voyager as a goal for everyone on the planet. Cause obviously like, Oh, we're not alone in the universe. We've all known this for centuries. Right. So if we know that, if we know that is true, cause we can observe it, then we are all driven to like get up there. Right. And see what the fuck is going on. And uh, this is also when he conveys that he he says he had a roommate. <laughs> so I had a he had a he had a wife <laughs> is what he had down there. My notes say uh, the doctor got wet. <laughs> doctor had had a special friend uh, for sure. Uh, we'll we'll find out later. He had a son, not I would assume a biological one, but. The pieces are there of that he probably got close with some kind of single parent, widower type of situation. Had a, a you know a stepchild, that sort of thing. Gave him a weird Earth name, Jason. Right? Yes. Uh, we I presume the doctor probably created a name for himself while he was down there, but yeah. we don't ever hear what that might have been. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, there was so much more that they could have done with this that they just they they tease you with these little bits of like, oh, this seems so cool. And then they just they don't pay it off. Here's where the payoff 
needed to be like I I like the idea of laying the breadcrumbs out like, man, there's some juicy stuff going on here, but not giving you the details on what it was exactly and letting us sit here and play. What if the story that needed to come up, not how he went on these adventures in the past, but now suddenly uh, he's been ripped out of this life. He has carved out for himself for three years. He has a very clear, strong emotional attachment to these natives down on the surface, and he is never going to see them again. And for all intents and purposes, these people, he just walked out and abandoned all of them. I want to see the emotional impact on the doctor having to live with that as he is pulled back into his original life seconds after he left, but carrying all of this baggage. They touch on a little bit of that by by him talking about, you know, whenever he doubted, you know, or, or despaired, he just could just look up and there's Voyager, right? Like he knows they're going to eventually get him. He can still see them, right? And so it may not be as damaging to him because he's always lived his life with the assumption of like, I could literally be just beamed out of here anytime, you know, by the them scrambling to find a way to get me out of here. So um, maybe that blunts that impact a little bit when you kind of, you're not like abandoning hope. And then all of a sudden are pulled out of this new life you've built for yourself. It's no, I know I'm going to get pulled out eventually. Like what it will if, happen. What if the doctor didn't stay down in the area where he was originally transported from because he made a conscious decision that he wanted to leave that life behind and go live out his life on the planet as a real person instead of a fucking appliance that lives in a closet. And like when he gets beamed up, he has to like suddenly reprogram himself and be like, Oh no, I wasn't doing that at all. Yeah. I'm happy to be back here. I totally wasn't trying to go AWOL. <laughs> See, it's so much fun. It, it, it could be anything. It could be everything like Schrodinger's cat. Right. Um, and I think to my other point, they- how many, how many times do you think the doctor had some kind of murder programming issue while he was down there over the oh three years? Oh my God, those poor people. <laughs> yeah. Like how many times was, did he turn into Dr. Jekyll? Uh-uh. Uh, Mr. Hyde type of situation. Terminology. What do we, the, the name you're looking for is Dr. Evil. <laughs> How many Dr. Evils happened? You know, like how many times did his inner Colonel Colonel Campbell come out? You know, because they're not free of conflict. There was a war, right? His his apartment got shelled at one point. Like, did he join the military and advise them on counterterrorism? Did he did did he break the prime directive even further by unlocking for them the technology of the space pipe? Like what what horrors have been unleashed? Or one of his uh, Dr. Evil stints to, to make himself into the Jack the Ripper there. Listen, we need to get Robert Picardo back on the uh, cameo phone, right? <laughs> we, need, we, we need we need answers. We need to pitch him on a Patreon funded uh, miniseries detailing the doctor's adventures on the planet Donut and and all the crazy rogue AI moments he had like. Fuck this Captain Proton miniseries. This this is what we need. Uh, but anyways, they, they do kind of touch on his emotional attachment there later on when the um, astronauts end up on the ship. He says, hey, listen, when you get back down on the planet, check for, uh, you know, whatever Times Square and a guy named Jason. He's probably dead by now, but just find out what happened and tell whatever family he's got that, you know, I'm sorry or whatever the message was. He kind of leaves it open. Well, let's let's get to that. So. The the doctor starts to give him all this information. You know, Voyager is the singular focus of the entire civilization. There's toys. There's constant speculation. There's a space race. And then we see the the Voyager try to escape, right? Like they try to actually pull, pull out and uh, it actually starts to shake the planet even more. So they have to, to stop. So Voyager has exhausted all of their ideas about how to get away, which is important for later. There's one other part that the doctor relays, and it's that not everybody is super space racy to get up there. Some people, and it's a minority at that point, are just like, let's blow this fucking thing out of the sky. However, because time has continued to pass, eventually they develop the, I guess you would call it like 70s era space faring technology. Mm hmm. And they Apollo mission their way up to Voyager. And 
the lead astronaut of this mission is played by Daniel Day Kim, who later became much more famous for being on Lost and then much more famous even further for people who are 20 years older than us for being in the remake of Hawaii Five-0. Uh, those are both outside my wheelhouse, so... I definitely remember him from Lost. Like, he, he was a key character on Lost from the very beginning. And I watched that show for the first few seasons, as, as a lot of people did, and then stopped, as a lot of people also did. Uh, but perhaps even more surprising to, to folks who are uh, you know below the age of 50, the Hawaii Five O TV remake, this was out, by the way, this is why Alex Kurtzman still has a job as shit like this, right? This is This is a show Alex Kurtzman created. Okay, for CBS. And it it ran for 10 seasons. What? It just ended. Yes. It started in 2010. It it started in 2010, ended in 2020. And Daniel Day Kim was like third lead on that for the first seven seasons. There was the only reason I knew the the show was still going was a few years ago. There was this big blow up because essentially every Asian actor on the show quit after the seventh season because they wouldn't pay him as much as the white actors. This is the whole thing, right? And my first thing was, wow, that's quite a scandal. My other thing was, wow, that show is still on? <laughs> like, who's watching it? Like, who are these people? Then I looked it up and it's like one of the top five shows and it's on Friday nights on CBS. I'm like, wow, what? what is this world where people are watching network television on Friday? Man. Jesus. Not my world. The astronaut stuff is cool and it's a great fake out. Um, they get up there, they observe Voyager, they try to communicate back with Dallas. They get a bunch of like high speed scribble because they don't know the time dilation exists and that they've crossed the event horizon and are now outside of the world's time. And then the, the, the commander's just like, all right, well, we can't communicate. We don't know what our orders are. Let's dock. I think I saw a docking port. Let's get in there and make first contact. Um, and it's such a great fake out because like I instantly get pissed because the next scene are these two astronauts just forcing a door in a Jeffrey's tube open. Their helmets are off. All right. These guys come from the same school as Prometheus, where you just take your fucking helmet off in an alien environment because, hey, what's the worst that could happen? Hey, in Prometheus, they didn't even go out with them, did they? No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was uh. That was the the alien movie that came after Prometheus. They did take they had helmets on and then took them off, didn't they? Foolishly. Yes. Again, real strong entry into Tuvok is the fucking worst where the external doors to the ship are not locked and dudes in Apollo spacecraft are able to just jimmy the door open and get in. And they're walking through and I'm just kind of like, how? how is Voyager not going ape shit right now? Because I forgot about the time dilation myself. And then they finally get out in the hallway and you just see everybody frozen in time. And I'm like, Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, the plot of the episode. Silly me. So good. I was so wrapped up in my favorite pastime of, of hating to <laughs> of condemning Tuvok security, which I'm still not letting them off the hook. Like, yeah, what, why are dudes in a capsule? forcing open deuterium doors or whatever let me be clear though the idea of instead of doing a actual freeze frame effect and instead having all of your actors do your 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 best time out time in from fucking saved by the bell Mm -hmm. was super lame because you could see all everybody like kind of like you know doing that thing where you're trying to be rigid but you can't stay rigid so you start to shake right it was just obvious on everybody it's so star trek i love it though They could have just done a freeze frame shot and then and then and then had the other two actors like come in after and just freeze overlaid it looks bad. And and eventually they're like, are they in suspended animation? What's going on? Why are they like this? And it's not until they get up on the bridge where you see Neelix pouring coffee for Janeway and like the coffee is suspended in midair that they're like, oh, shit. And that actually is freeze framed. And that looks like crap. So I think having people red light uh looks better and I like it more. Eventually, uh, Daniel Day Kim and actress who is soon to be killed, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, have to go through their time strokes uh, and they do. And actress who is soon to be killed is killed off screen. Commander, not going to matter anymore. 
Yeah, Commander not going to be part of this episode. And uh, but thankfully, Daniel Day Kim uh, survives and is uh, woken up in sick bay by the doctor who's like, I'm really good with understanding their physiology because I was down there for three years and uh, wakes him up and says, hey, uh, this is the story. This is what's going on. And of course, because Daniel Day Kim is essentially their version of an enlightened space scientist is like, oh, well, that all makes sense. That's kind of crazy, but it all makes sense. How do we get you out of here? <laughs> like, obviously you need to go, right? Like, it isn't really any drama whatsoever with him accepting exactly what's happening. What a trooper, too, because exactly what's happening, like, talk about, and, you know, again, right back into Interstellar, like, hey, your whole life is gone. Everybody you knew is dead because in the, what, 10 minutes it took for me to, to to res you out of your time strokes like it's it's a whole new world down there buddy and i hope you told your mom and dad and children and grandchildren or whatever else goodbye because they are gone trying to see i don't think there's a lot that happens in between um him waking him up from his time stroke him getting kind of the download on what's going on uh his immediate acceptance and understanding and then the bombardment. So potentially because Voyager attempted to break away earlier in the episode and nearly like shook off a whole part of like a whole city, uh, the fuck those guys, you know, coalition on the planet has prevailed and uh, they start just shooting torpedoes at Voyager. And at first they're like, not very good in torpedoes, but they get better over time. And since time for them is passing very quickly, they are developing more and more effective torpedoes so fast that it looks like it's like a rapid fire assault cannon of torpedoes starts hitting the shields before too long. Well, you know, Joe, fuck you is a two way street. And whereas uh, Planet Donut has decided fuck you, Voyager. Voyager itself has a little fuck you coalition in the form of Tom Paris and perhaps the most insensitive shit I've ever seen out of Starfleet. And I've seen a lot of crazy admiral schemes before. Tom's like, shouldn't we return fire? And it's like, dude, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) You have ruined an entire goddamn planet like you already fucked the entire delta quadrant and the other quadrants too by you know letting the borg live and encouraging their um their death march but like you you guys have ruined this planet over its entire lifespan of a civilization you're talking about shooting guns back down trying to nuke it from orbit get the fuck out of here tom (laughs) i know you're a convict tom but jesus christ have some dignity here we have fucked with these people for literally from their perspective millennia at this stage like they're okay to be angry at us you that's think not their fault you think you're prison space jesus in the shoot and you can just go knife someone in the neck for space candy bars like come on man hey, um, you want a real ascent, jail sentence how about i stick you down on that planet for five minutes <laughs> like yeah. fucking deal with that you guys like going down to the surface and fist fighting people. You and Harry can both go. Did they send uh, Daniel Day Kim back down at this point? Or is he on the bridge when they start getting rocked? They start getting rocked when he's in astrometrics with seven of nine. And then he comes to the bridge and is like, yeah, I need to go back them over there. And tell them to stop shooting you. I really would have thought that at this point, given the caliber of acting this guy's putting forward, the hero story that they're giving him and the fact that uh, his entire life just got erased. I would have had I been watching this for the first time when it aired originally uh, January 9th. Ooh, look at that. We're almost on a 21 year anniversary because this originally aired January 19th, 2000. Oh, wow. Episodes old enough to drink, Joe. Good God. <laughs> Don't tell me shit like that. I can't handle that. Uh, it's t- timey wimey bullshit. I would have thought that this guy was a strong candidate for Voyager to bring him onto the crew. He's a person who exists now outside of the scope of his own society. Uh, it's a it's a star power material actor. Uh, interesting backstory, but 
We know that Voyager doesn't bring interesting people into the crew. Uh, we just squander them. Shout out Dr. Pell. <laughs> Rest in peace, Dr. Pell, who clearly did not survive her bullshit <laughs> like group of, of murder uh, organ harvesting uh, compatriots for much longer after betraying them. Yeah. Shout out Kazon Nog. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I would have thought that this guy would have been someone primed to crew him up. Uh, but he knows what he has to do, and he flies back down to the surface. Uh, in the time he's been away, the space program has been scrapped, and mission control is now like uh, the war center or whatever. So when he's flying in, he gets some weather person on the horn. He's like, listen, I need to, to get a landing permit. And they're like, oh, it can't. It couldn't be you. You're just a practical joker. Get off this line. And he's like, hey, I got the details about the sky friends. Like, uh, we need to stop. And he's like, hey, you want to you, you want to be famous? I'm about to land this shit on Times Square. <laughs> Here we go. So cool like, I can't. I can't get through to you, so I'm just going to land this shit in the most public place possible so you can't possibly say it's not me. Yeah. Which, uh, granted, that that's an effective strategy. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so before he goes back down to the surface, though, uh, the EMH hits him up and says, hey, listen, when you get down there, look for this guy named Jason. Um, he's my son. And uh, try and find his family and and give him a message and it's like what's what's this message is going to be like hey jason's son i just wanted to let you know that your grandpa was a holographic alien it was a, it was a skyship friend i don't know what you want to do with that information but there it is yeah in case you were wondering why sometimes your appendages disappear when you walk out of your house and also about once uh, every three months, you become evil and try to kill and torture people inexplicably. Uh, yeah, it's because your your grandpa was a holographic alien. Speaking of inexplicably, why does Daniel Day Kim's character understand what a hologram is? Like intrinsically? I mean, we know what holograms are, right? Yeah, but like from his technological perspective, would someone in the 1970s know what a fucking hologram is? Uh, would they... Let's see. What kind of sci-fi do we have to rely on? 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. was an emperor projection in in Star Wars that was a hologram. So holograms had to be a thing, right? I guess. I guess. Yeah, that's close enough. There, that, that sort of thing, like Wizard of Oz, right? Like projection. Sure. Even in the 30s. OK, fair. Let's talk about the bigger question here, Joe. Hot on the heels of uh, the Voyager conspiracy. Why does Planet Donut have tricobalt devices, <laughs> Joe? Well, they they develop them. They create them and they shoot one. They shoot only one. Where like, could Planet Donut have gotten operational knowledge and blueprints of tricobalt devices? The doctor, Joe, here's the here's the Voyager conspiracy. Oh, I'm here for this. Go ahead. Hey, the doctor did not want to return to Voyager. The doctor wanted to be a free hologram, a free man living his own life as a flesh and blood person. He fled the initial uh, transporter down area. He hid along the coastline. He tried to carve a life out for himself by trading Federation secrets and empowering Planet Donut with the technology to destroy Voyager, getting the death ship out of his life forever. And it wasn't had it not been for that meddling pacifist, emotionally intelligent Chakotay beaming him back up. His plan would have worked. There is no fucking reason. You're talking <laughs> about how does this guy know about holograms? How, how does planet known donut know about the, the tricobalt device, which has only existed to my knowledge in three episodes of star Trek uh, caretaker Voyager conspiracy. And now blink of an eye. I just love the idea that like when the astronaut came aboard, they were all like the doctor's stormtroopers. You know, they're like on his they, they they worship him as some kind of god, that sort of thing. Like it's all this like conspiracy. Like they communicate with him once they get up there. It's all it's all part of the plan to finally get him back down there, put it into the skyship once and for all. It's part of his Colonel Campbell, you know, uh, a deep cover assassination. Who knows? 
Listen, I'm telling you, we need to get Robert Picardo for this collaboration. A lot of meat on this bone. We could do great things. There's a there's there's a pause after Daniel Day Kim gets back to the planet. They stop shooting. And not too long after that, two much larger, more technologically advanced looking pod ships roll up and throw tractor beams on Voyager and tow its jabroni ass out of orbit. Like that is how the space conundrum in this episode is solved. They get pushed. That's it. They send up space bouncers and the bouncers say, all right. You've had too much to drink. You're out. Yeah, and get they, the fuck out of our club, yo. Like, we've had enough of you. They Uncle Phil yeet him out the door like DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> and we get a slightly older Daniel Day Kim who beams over with like a temporary time stroke prevention device to say, hey, uh, you know, obviously I talked to, every, talked to everybody and they, you know, came up here to, to get you out of here. Uh, but we're still trying to figure out how this we exist in normal time with the universe stuff yet. So, you know, good luck, Godspeed. But we're we're we've got our own shit we got to deal with with uh, what the fuck is up with this weird planet we're on. And so there isn't much left of the episode except the final shot, which is again on, you know, the the sacrifice rock. It's a very technologically advanced city that you see now. And it's a very, very old looking Daniel Day Kim who finally sees Voyager warp away and the star that it represented is finally gone. Love it. And great, great final shot. Great final moment, especially like seeing that character aged after just a few you know, seconds as far as we can tell. Um, and it leaves that question that Taryn asks, which is what is this planet like? I, I think that it's quite possible that it's seen constant like rises and falls of civilizations or rises and falls of whole species over time. And that uh, this is just one in a series of different uh, intelligent species that might have come to pass on this planet. But Voyager's interference may have made it the first one with technological curiosity to break the loop. You know, it doesn't answer that question of like, what happens to these people? Do they actually eventually break out of this? Do they do something right? Like we don't know, but uh, my interpretation of it is this is a cycle that's gone on over and over and over again. But this time because of Voyager, suddenly everyone was looking outward for the entire cycle. And so now there's this opportunity for them to finally break out and, and not suffer the same fate, which it's just entirely speculative on my part, but that's kind of what I think their fate well, ends up being. Uh, you know, that's that's the theme of Star Trek, right? Is that things get better and things, you know, advance, and, and it's a it's a bright, um, exciting future ahead of us and these guys. So I would say, yeah, that optimistic viewpoint is is right on brand for Star Trek, and I can feel good about endorsing it as well. I don't really know what bad to say about this episode. There's like some little nitpicky details out there. Certainly, um, I'm sympathetic to your comments about <sighs> kind of cheating. And I can't even say they're cheating the doctor. I mean, the doctor got something. You get the impression of it. I don't need you to connect the dots. There's enough there that I can I can accept the fact that he had a family and he grew. Um, I I'd say this is what top five, top ten for sure. Really, you put it that high. This I'm is a little f- surprised. It's a great story, man. It's great uh, fringe sci-fi. I think everybody's acting right on their marks, minus fucking Tom and his uh his murder, his genocide impulse out there. Like no one seems to really be acting off the rails or crazy. The crew for the most part everybody's on solid footing uh janeway's not fucking cuckoo this time around where's it coming up short for you it's not that it's coming up short like i said it's it's a pretty good episode of star trek that is elevated by the neat sci-fi premise of the framing device of the planet you know unstuck in time kind of you know out of moving at a completely different pace than its surroundings and how they work that in. That's, that's really neat. Um, I just would not make it 
anywhere close to something that's in the top 10, though, just because the most interesting parts of the episode feel kind of incomplete. You know, um, I would absolutely put, you know, let, let's let me run through every episode that I think I would put above this going all the way back to season one. Uh, I would put Eye of the Needle above this. Uh, I would put Persistence of Vision above this. I would put Cold Fire above this. I would put Meld above this. I would put Year of Hell. I would put Timeless, obviously. Uh, Worst case scenario, I would put above this. Oh, So let me pose this to you. Is this a time travel episode? Yes. Yes, it is. I think I would call this a time travel episode. One of the best time travel episodes then. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a king of a small mountain. (laughs) (laughs) I need to climb that one in one step. You know, like what what what's the real competition? Future's end. Like, yes, clearly better than dealing with Sarah Silverman. Oh, no, time. There's timeless. That's a time travel episode It is not the best time travel episode. It's not the best, but it's it's a good one. It's time travel done in a unique way. That is interesting for storytelling. Voyager's had a couple of those, and I I enjoy them. I really like creative, fresh ways to do the time travel episode. You know, a lot of the stuff you're saying that they could have fleshed out a little bit better. The sad reality of this episode is those developmental scenes uh, were ditched at the cost of having to facilitate the fucking... (laughs) I don't know if it's like mandated or or contractually obligated seven of nine and Naomi Wildman <laughs> bullshit around astrometrics. Like, why did that seem to be in there? Oh, seven. I'm having a hard time. I'm writing a report about this planet and I don't know what to name my report. I want to name it something stupid. And then seven's like, well, why don't we name it the weird planet displaced in time. Oh my gosh, seven. That's such a great episode. And maybe star Trek, uh, V'ger please will, uh, steal that for the episode title of this. Thanks for hanging out with me for five minutes while we don't touch on any of these other important things. Like who, who asked for that scene? What, what is this adding? Get Naomi the fuck out of here. This episode should have had very little Voyager in it. It should have been very Pathfinder esque, where main characters don't show up at all. And what it should have done is play, done as much of the story as it could have from the perspective of the planet. You know, just like you, you know, the Voyager shows there's the star and there's all the stuff, and you see the vignettes, and you can you know the first clue it's Voyager is that they observe it, and they can see it with their first telescopes, and then. You know, somewhere in the middle of the episode, the doctor beams down and we see more of his adventures on the planet. And we and that's how it gets conveyed to us is that he has conversations with characters where he, you know, let's like let's out like, oh, we just got here. What the fuck? You know, like that's what this episode needed. It needed to be more focused on the really cool background story that they built and less on just these filler scenes with Technobabble that don't actually do anything don't further the story and made it so that we had a much of a de-emphasis on voyager as possible and instead we just saw everything through the perspective of the planet and how they were affecting it i really like this episode but i'm feeling what you're putting down here and if i was to reboot this episode exactly what you're saying you do this in the light of uh living witness uh and and you really do turn this into um the fucking inner light episode for Voyager where doctor's not stuck down there for three years. He's stuck down there for like six centuries or something crazy. And you just watch the doctor living through the rise of this civilization through these key periods. And he's your anchor through all of it. Yeah. And, and even more so it could be that there's like a family or family line that he is shepherding, you know, through this, He's like changing his identity or something like there's so many cool like storytelling tropes. You can He's an use. elder vampire surviving centuries and and pulling the strings in a jihad on the planet. I like it. <laughs> that, that I think summarizes why I don't consider it a top episode. It's because it the, the truly great episodes of this show are not just a good idea executed competently. They elevate and this just kind of comes up a little short on that. It plays it a little too safe and ends up focusing too much on stuff that doesn't matter for it to be an exceptional thing. But it is maybe. probably 
it is probably this the it is the best episode of Voyager this season. That's not the best episode of Star Trek this season. That would be uh, Pathfinder, but that was a TNG episode, so we can't count it. <laughs> maybe, Joe, or maybe you're just a shitty, mean, broken person who put too much time into Ninja Turtles NES game, and <laughs> it's given you bad opinions. Who knows? <laughs> the world will never know. Yeah. But the but the world will know what episode that we watch next week. What is it? We're going to be going into season six, episode 13, Virtuoso. I see Tom and some no names in Neelix. One species so appreciates the doctor's singing talent that he considers resigning his commission and staying on with his millions of adoring fans. Wow. Joe, if we had skip options, I think I would say I want to skip this episode. Everything we just talked about, the doctor wanting to run away and have a life somewhere else would have been fucking sweet, great Alex Jones conspiracy theory in blink of an eye. And you're going to give it to me because someone likes the way he sings. Yeah, this is a terrible one and I hate it. And, uh, this is what we're, uh, this is what we're damned to. I, uh, season sucks yeah this is this this is just bad i don't i'm gonna learn about the doctor having a fan club instead of the bajoran borg spending her last year on voyager or month or whatever the fuck it was that's that's the story they wanted to tell here now I don't get to know about uh, the Equinox crew members settling into Voyager and dealing with uh, the shame and guilt, but I'm going to get to see the doctor have roses thrown at him and, and more goddamn singing. Great. Thanks. All right. Well, we'll get through this together. And uh, I, I assure you, you will be more broken by the process because you know, TMNT on NES already broke me. So uh, until then, peace. Peace.